with spring upon us, we have a World Over Book Festival for you. The Unexpected Light of Thomas Alva Edison is out in stores this week. Catholic mom and author Kristalina Evert interviews me about the book and the forgotten history of how a mother's devotion saved and made the world's greatest inventor. An actress, author, and entrepreneur, Ali Landry, is here to talk about faith, family, and her new book, Reshape Your Life. The World Over begins right now. Now, Raymond Arroyo. A warm welcome to all of you joining us in the United States and the world over. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send me a tweet. I'm at Raymond Arroyo. Lots to cover. Let's jump right in. Tonight, I have something a little special for you. On the occasion of the release of my new book, The Unexpected Light of Thomas Alva Edison, I decided to turn the tables on myself and have someone interview me. And since Thomas Edison's mother is such an important part of the story, I'm joined by Catholic mom, speaker, and author of her own book, Women Made New, Kristalina Evert. Kristalina, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to have you here and to talk to you about this first installment of my Turnabout Tales. Uh, and now I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you take it from there. You know, it's such an honor I get to do this, really. It's such a pleasure, <laughs> and it's exciting. But I'm going to tell you right off the bat, Raymond, you sent me a copy. And it's phenomenal. My kids absolutely loved it. And I put it through their oh, fire and I sat them down and they loved it. They had questions. They were very engaged, even in the middle of it. A couple interruptions of well, why this or why that. And sometimes they just kind of zone out. Good. And I can tell a book, but this one was great. And I paid attention and, and it was good. And they were very curious about it. But one thing I'm curious about right off the bat with you is why are you calling it the Turnabout Tales? Oh, good question. Well, this is the first in a series, and as you know, uh, it concerns, as each book in the series will, a historic life and a crisis in a young person's life, where, by outward appearances, this would seem to be the end of the road. Uh, 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 it's a crossroads, it's a crisis, and many times young people just give up. Adults do the same thing. But if you look closely, and the motto of the Turnabout Tales series is challenges faced, paths altered, history changed. And that really is what happens not only in this story, but in all these great lives. It's the decision made in the crisis that oftentimes opens up not only the vocation and the destiny of that individual, but changes the history from that moment on. So uh, Edison is a wonderful example of that, as are the other figures that I'll cover in later books. But uh, I'm delighted that your children enjoyed it and had as much fun as I did putting it together. No, it was phenomenal. What drew you to young Edison's story? There were so many that you could choose from. Why mm. him? Yeah, well, uh, I'll tell you, I came across, somebody had given me one of these big biographies of Edison, and full disclosure, I hadn't read it for years and years and years. It just sat on my shelf. I was going on vacation, I took it with me, and I, I'll give you a little insight into my odd reading habits. Uh, I think it comes from reading, reading mysteries as a kid. I often read the last chapter first, and then I wow, go really? back okay. and forth. 
Well, I go to the end to see if, you know, if, if, if the squeeze is worth the juice. Um, and, and that last chapter in this particular Edison biography, there was an interview with Edison late in life, and he said, my mother was the making of me. If not for my mother and her belief, faith, and devotion in me at a particular time in my life, Nancy Edison, I would never have become an inventor. And I thought to myself, first of all, who is this Nancy Edison? What was the crisis in his life? And so then I started doing my research. It took me about four months. I visited all the places, the Edison lab, the birthplace. Uh, there's a facsimile of the first Edison laboratory in Detroit. So I went to all those places and collected so much information and um, kind of condensed it all. And, I, and I, originally I was going to write a little chapter book but I wanted families to have access to it, so I decided to turn it into what I call a family read. Other people cruelly call them children's books or picture books. No, they're family reads. It's true. We got together as a family and we read it and it was great. And I love that you highlighted Thank his you. mother. Mothers play such a pivotal role in their child's education. And in our day and age, mm. it seems like there's to take that and rob that of us as parents. And Nancy really was this strong woman. And I love when you highlighted, she went in there and she told that teacher, and my son can learn. And my kids love it. They're laughing. They're like, mom, you would do something like that. It was great. But <laughs> well, and speak to mother's hearts out there right now about this book, because it actually really helped me and gave me a little oomph of, you know, I, I am in charge. I need to take care of my kids. And look what that woman did for her son's life, I can do the same for my children in a different way. Well, this is why, though this is a story that took place more than a century ago, the lesson and the example remain so contemporary, Kristalina. And as I read about parents at school boards and people trying to, you know, keep the curriculum hidden from parents, and how so many times the rigidity of the school setting and the testing system writes off or pushes kids to the margins. That's what happened in this story. Thomas Edison at eight years old, and, and again, every one of these turnabout tales will focus not on the womb to tomb life of a person, but on that crisis moment and how it was resolved and how that opened up the rest of the life. In this case, Edison's eight years old. He's registered in school, and the schoolmaster announces to everyone that Edison cannot be taught, and he's addle-brained. Well, young Tom breaks down in tears, runs home to his mother. His mother goes back, tells the professor, look, my son has more intelligence than you'll ever have, and I'm taking him home, and I'm going to educate him myself. Now, she was an educator, okay, from Canada. So she, she had training. But what okay. she does with her son is a great example for all of us, Kristalina, which is she bent and accommodated the learning to her son and his style of, of, of uh, absorbing information. She accommodated his place, where he was. Now, many biographers think he probably had ADHD um, and therefore had trouble with memorization and sitting in the class for long periods. But Nancy Edison understood the brilliance of her son, the curiosity innately there, and she fed it, fed his passions. You know, from someone who struggles with ADD myself, honestly, and some of my children mm. actually have different learning styles. The ones that did have it, mm. I wanted to see if they kind of pick that up with Thomas in here, and they did. And they thought, well, he does learn differently, Mommy. You know, one of them even said that, because he really does struggle. But huh. that 
a real thing right now with children that they have different ways of learning. And this was so great because Thomas Edison is such an overcomer, even at his young age, but his mother nurtured that. And so it's nice now because even when we did homework after we were reading this, I said, well, think of Thomas, he struggled and look what he became. And I kind of reminded them, you know, <laughs> so it was perfect because so he was really some things with homework. But well, uh, Kristalina, you know, he, the, the brilliance, the brilliance of, of Nancy Edison, and I want to pick up on what you were saying there, she she recognized that, yes, he was getting into trouble at a young age. You know, he wanted to see how the canal works, so he jumps in the canal. He wanted to see how a grain elevator works, so he jumped into the grain elevator. He wanted to figure out how honey was made, so he split a beehive open. I mean, he burned down the family barn trying to investigate fire. So he made some catastrophes, but she understood he was learning with his hands. And Edison said later, my mother taught me to learn with my head and with my hands. And I think all of us can profit from that. It's certainly how I learn. You know, you put it on your body, you try it out, you get it on its feet. That's sometimes the only way to know if something really works or not. It was applied knowledge. And that really is the beginning of the Edison Labs and the first research and development uh, uh, facility in our country. It came from Nancy Edison's training of her son. Oh, that's beautiful. And such an inspiration for mothers, too, because I definitely carried something away after I read this book as well. Now, you made this mm, character very relatable um, to a contemporary audience. How did you do that? Well, part of it is you find those moments that I think kids and me will find exciting and fun. I always look for the slapstick first because I think if you can keep people entertained, they'll stay with you for the story. Um, so we get we see him doing these, you know, bizarre and, uh, and, and outlandish experiments at times. There are a few I left out of the book just because we didn't have enough time. For instance, one you won't find in the book. Um, Edison realized that birds were eating worms, and he wanted to figure out how to make people fly. So he collected different worms, ground them up, and made a little girl next door eat the worms. Well, she didn't oh fly, gosh. but she got really sick. Uh, yeah, so, you know, you don't want the kids doing that, so I thought I'd better leave that one out. But, no, that's a great one. That's but but again, look at the mind. You know, it's a great mind at work, even as a little child. And God bless that mother, Nancy Edison, who recognized it early, fed his curiosity, gave him science manuals alongside novels. And because he was deaf starting at 12 years old, which I didn't realize till I started doing the research, um, that allowed him to focus, hyper-focus on things in almost isolation. So again, two things the world considers liabilities. Okay, ADHD and deafness were the blessings and the beginning of the world's greatest inventor. Uh, an important lesson, I think, for all of us. I think that is the biggest lesson to take away from this book. And you hit the nail on the head. This book seems like it would be an excellent Easter gift for your, the, everyone's children out there, right? Yeah, well, I think it is uh, because you know what? It's a it is a story in a microcosm in a family of resurrection and great sacrifice. Uh, Edison didn't have an easy path. Neither did his family. And look, I'm not saying he's a savior or a saint, though I do think he should be recognized as the patron saint of homeschooling, because I can't think of another homeschooled kid who did more uh, than Thomas Edison. I mean, look, the inventions of this man more than a century ago, we are right now in this moment, Kristalina, 
beneficiaries of. The lights around us, the microphone, the motion picture camera, the lithium battery that we have today was really the successor of the alkaline battery that Thomas Edison created. All of this would not have been possible but for this little castaway boy that everybody wrote off. His own father said he was a dunce, but his mom saw potential there, saw something special, saw the light that we continue to shine in to this day. You know, there's something to say, Raymond, about our children that do learn differently because you think someone like Thomas Edison is, is somewhat maybe irrelevant and our children have no idea, a lot of them, even who that is, yet they turn on the lights because of him. You know, it's, it's really amazing. And just to speak to the mothers out there, don't you think that if they do see those differences in their child, to really just embrace them, nurture them. And that book even made me think more about that with my own children. But mothers out there right now that maybe have kids or that are difficult, that are struggling in school, what do you have to say to them? Well, look, uh, families are really important. And moms particularly, but dads and grandmothers and aunts and uncles, if you stay close to that child, and Nancy Edison was obviously very close to her son, she, he was the last of her children, um, and the last child born was 14 years older than Edison. So, you know, there was a big gap. He was basically an only child at home. And what you see here is uh, she, she understood where he was. She accompanied him through the difficulties. And look, I dedicate this book to my wife and my own mother because I watched both of them accompany their own children. And as you said earlier, Every child is different. Every child, even in the same household, from the same parents, they learn differently, they see the world differently, they have different vocations and pursuits, things they're drawn to. Nancy Edison recognized that Thomas Edison was wondering how things worked, how the world operated. And she gave him scientific manuals that honestly are beyond me. You know, I've, I flipped through the actual books that he had as a child in the archives, and I, I, I couldn't comprehend half of it. But he used this to create his own experiments. He, he created a telegraph from a neighbor's house to his own house and his own telegraph machine. Um, you know, and, and that would lead later to the Edison Labs, where he continued to tinker and play. And he said that throughout his life. Every moment is play. None of it is work. And if you have that mindset, I think, not only as a child but as an adult, your work will have a kind of shiny edge to it that I think attracts people. And, and it makes the work richer and better. And it will have its own uniqueness, right, and not to be afraid of that. Do you fear that we're losing uh, in America stories like these that are so rich in teaching us such amazing lessons like Thomas Edison? Well, the whole reason I wanted to do this turnabout tales and start with Edison is because you have a historic figure that touches the lives of all of us, including children. So I thought it was a neat connector and a person they probably didn't know a whole lot about. But every moment, every bit of this series will uh, remind people, I think, of the important historical foundations of the lives who went before and the lessons they left us. And we have to commemorate and hold these lives here. And I worry that because of the test requirements, because of curriculum, we're losing what were once uh, well-known American figures and worldwide figures. So this is my attempt to kind of do something positive and remind people that history affords us great lessons 
and things that we can take to our own hearts and create our own turnabout tales. That's what I'm really trying to do here. That's wonderful. And also it teaches us that they made mistakes, but they weren't afraid to make those mistakes. They were overcomers with the trials in their own lives and situations. Right. And that it doesn't matter who you are, your background, that you can be an overcomer in any situation right now. Thank you for writing this book, Raymond. It helped me. It helped my children. Aww. And I look forward to the other ones that you are going to come out with. Where can everyone uh, purchase this book? And I just want to encourage all moms out there, if you have young ones or even up to 12 years old or a little older, they'll really enjoy and benefit from this book. So where can they buy it, Raymond? Well, they can get it everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the EWTN Religious Catalog, wherever books are sold. But uh, I have to tell you, and I'll, I'll leave you with this, and then I have a question for you. Now I, now I get to take back the microphone that Edison made. Um, the, w one of the things, and you touched on it, Nancy Edison taught her son not to be afraid to fail. And Thomas Edison was not so much an inventor of new things as a perfecter and refiner of things that went before. And he often said, our greatest weakness is giving up too early. Try just one more time. And his whole approach to creativity was a process of elimination. He would try and try and fail and try and fail and try until he got it right. That's how he worked with that intensity. That's how we should live too. Don't be afraid to fail and learn with your head as well as your hands. Those are the lessons I took away from the book. Now, Kristalina, I have to ask you, you wrote a beautiful book, um, Women Made New, Reflections on Adversity, Transformation, and Healing. It features one of my favorite and maybe dearest women, certainly an important woman in my life. Tell me about the book, why you wrote it, and who that woman might be. <laughs> that woman is Mother Angelica, and she's touched both of our lives on such a level that I wanted to introduce my generation of women about her, but also that she is an overcomer as well, since we're talking about that. And she came from a divorced family. She came from a mess, and she overcame that. And I feel like she is still setting the world on fire from heaven um, with the the with EWTN and the message that it's bringing to Jesus all over the world, to all the people that that wouldn't be there if she didn't just take one step at a time, do everything that Jesus was asking her to do, regardless of her fear. And I wrote this book for women that are struggling, that are having a hard time, that came from a background that maybe they've had an abortion or they've been raped or whatever's happening in their life. It's not always pretty. A lot of the times it's messy, but it doesn't matter who they are, where they've been, what they've done. All that matters right now is where they go from here. And I give them kind of the ABCs and all the other contributors in this book of how they can start their own healing process and become the woman that God has created them to be. Well, thank you for being there and for, for this book. Women Made New is available, by the way, at EWTN's catalog, wherever books are sold. Kristalina Everett, thank you so much for doing this for me, and we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Raven. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Once again, the first installment of my new family picture book series, Turnabout Tales, The Unexpected Life of Thomas Alva Edison. It's out now in bookstores everywhere. And come join me. I'm on tour. I'll be in Florida at the Villages, the Barnes & Noble, on Saturday, March 25th, Jacksonville 
on the 26th of March. I'm in my hometown of New Orleans in Metairie on Monday, the 27th, and I'll be doing a special signing at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley on Wednesday, the 29th. I cannot wait to see you all. All the details are at RaymondArroyo.com, and uh, it makes a wonderful Easter gift. So I hope uh, we all together preserve a bit of lost history and absorb these important lessons. My next guest is an actress, a wife, and mother of three. She's a former Miss USA winner and is now a successful businesswoman, focusing on women's health and wellness. She's the founder of the lifestyle platform Reshape and the author of a brand new book, Reshape Your Life. Don't settle because you are worth it. I sat down with her earlier this week to talk about it. Here's my exclusive interview with Allie Landry. Allie, thanks for being here. Uh, before we get to the book, I have to start. Uh, you're a fellow Louisianian um, uh, at the other L.A. Uh, now, I grew up in New Orleans, <laughs> but you grew up in Cajun country. Tell me about how that shaped the woman you've become. Your dad worked in the oil fields. I know your mom was your first inspiration, a bit of an entrepreneur. Yes. You know, well, first of all, you know, I, I have such a connection to my roots. I have a beautiful, large Catholic family. There's 10 children on my dad's side, eight on my mom's side. Everybody lives on two big patches of land. I call it one-stop shopping. I just park the car, one, one, one home, and then I just go house to house to visit everyone. And opening the book, I mean, honestly, the first two chapters is truly a love letter to Louisiana to the, com I get, I get emotional, to the community that raised me, to all the strong women that I had around me. Um, and I think I appreciate it even more now that I'm away from it all. So to this yeah. day, I honestly still consider myself, you know, just a small town girl. Hmm. What, what role did your Catholic faith play uh, in your life when you were growing up? I know it is such a, you know, uh, for, for Louisianians, it's such a part of our lived and daily existence and communal life. It really is. It's a part. I'll tell you this. I feel like everybody in our area in southwest Louisiana is Catholic. So I honestly think that it was something I took for granted. And, hmm. you know, of course, there was went to church every Sunday and I went to a Catholic school and was taught by nuns. And I had, you know, my faith as that foundation. But it was not until I was an adult that I really evaluated my life and recommitted to my faith in the most profound way. And I'm really, um, God, when I did that, God showed up in my life um, in a completely different way and really walked alongside me in the journey. Ali, the new book, uh, Reshape Your Life, it's really all about transformation. Uh, now, you've it had is. so much success in your life, uh, Miss USA, your acting. Uh, but you've also experienced loss and tragedy. And you write in the book, when life turns upside down, you can feel dizzy and off balance, like you're falling. What I found is that it helps to tether yourself to what you know to be true in your core. For me, that's my faith. I began to pray like never before. Only God could comfort me and give me the peace and healing I so desired and transform, and transform my heart. God was present for yeah. me. It has been the only time in my life when I heard God's voice so clearly, and I think it is because I was so fully dependent on him. Tell us about that time and how important it is in life to be tethered to truth. You know, 
really the book is all about reshapes, right? I feel for me, I never want to see a woman settle for less than what she deserves, right? And the book really helps you identify areas in your life that just are not serving you. And I share with you the tools to help you get to the other side and really create those true and lasting reshapes. But at the core of it all, at the core of it all, honestly, is my faith. And it's when, you know, there were times, there have been many reshapes, but, you know, I've had some around betrayal um, and love, right? Mm -hmm. And tragedy and loss where they brought me to my knees and I did not have the answers. And I honestly had to completely surrender, surrender my own will. Like I couldn't mm -hmm. do life the way I wanted to do it. I had to, because I felt so helpless in those moments, but I had to mm -hmm. give it, I had to honestly give it to God. And when I did that, that's when I heard, I was in so much pain, right? But that's when I heard his voice so clearly. And that's when the transformation started to happen within myself. I was able to sit mm. in that quiet, sit in that pain and just let, and like, I was like, God, listen, I've made many mistakes in my life. I can't make any more, or I, I have to be able to move through this with happiness and joy and positivity. I can't have resentment. I can't feel anger. Like I want the best life for myself, but your plan is way bigger than mine. So just take, hold my hand and take me through. And I get chills because mm. You know, I don't get an opportunity to speak about that very often. And so I do it in the book. And I'm so happy we get to talk about this here because that is yeah. where it was my relationship with God and, and my faith that really brought yeah. me through the toughest times. If I didn't have that, I don't know if I could have got through, I would say, in the miraculous yeah. way that I did. Ali, you also talk about forgiveness and uh, not only yeah. forgiveness for others, but forgiving ourselves for past mistakes. What would you say to those struggling with their past and the things that they've or choices they've made in their past? You know, I look at I even look at my own life and I think, you know, I definitely went to the wayside. I've definitely made bad choices. I've definitely made mistakes. But I have to stay, say now, standing where I'm standing, I, it's, mm -hmm. I, I embrace those times and I look at them as part of the fabric of my life. It was wonderful learning experiences because I allowed them to be. Um, mm -hmm. And I think forgiveness is so important. I had a really hard understanding, time understanding what that was, especially when someone betrayed me and I had to learn to move forward with forgiveness. I honestly thought that forgiving would mean that I'm saying, like, that's okay what you did to me. Like, I'm, I'm good with that. But mm -hmm. that's not what it was. Forgiving, forgiving that person allowed me to move forward, right? It allowed me not to carry anything forward in my life because they weren't worrying about it. Um, and, mm -hmm. I, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. It actually took me a while to, like, figure it out and, and for that concept to land on me. Um, but again, like I really try to walk the reader through as best I can through my personal experiences and give them those tools of how to kind of maneuver through these situations in their own lives. The book, it deals really with the health of the mind, the body, the heart and the soul. Uh, after years yeah. of working in Hollywood, acting and, and, you know, landing your dream job of a talk show host, your health and wellness took a sharp downturn. What happened? Yeah. And, and how did you come upon this idea of reshape? 
Yeah. That's honestly where it all started, like the concept of reshape. I was on, you know, a daily talk show. I was on Fox. It was a panel. I was, you know, so excited. Uh, but that kind of schedule was really tough. You know, it's up at 5, live at 9. Uh, I thought by the time I got off at 10, I was going to get in some exercise. I was going to go to the grocery store, cook this dinner, pick up the kit, you know, have this whole great day. In reality, yeah. I would get home exhausted. I would climb back into bed. I, the best way I could describe it, and I think women, I was in my mid-40s at the time, I felt off. I felt sick, maybe, but not sick enough to go to the doctor, right? Just didn't feel myself. Mm. And so I actually went to a naturopathic doctor and did my first full blood panel. And I had so many aha moments and really saw where I was off. I was experiencing, you know, poor digestion, poor sleep, chronic pain issues, um, mild mm. depression, I mean, low energy. I felt like I was living half a life. And once I started making some adjustments with the guidance of the naturopathic doctor and many others that came into place after that, I experienced that next level of health. But I was about to throw in the mm. towel. You know, my girlfriends, when I asked them, they're like, yeah, Allie, like, we're getting older. That's what happens. And for me, that just didn't sit well. I was like, I'm 40-something years young. Like, I have this great life in front of me. I want it to be vibrant and amazing, and I want more. And so I just dug mm. in and did the work. And uh, that's part of that, what I share, you know, because I know it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've spoken and written about your 17-year marriage to uh, film director Alejandro Monteverde. Of course, people will be very familiar with his work, Little Boy and, and Bella and so many other great films. Uh, you have three children together. Tell me about the importance of that relationship, how it changed your life. You know, I was coming off of a betrayal that we spoke about earlier, and that's when I mm -hmm. completely surrendered my my life, my relationship mostly to God. I was just like, I've made bad choices. I, I, I was very specific about what I wanted in a partner. Very, very specific. One of them was I wanted them to be equally yoked. I prayed for him in great detail. At the time I was doing, uh, reading Purpose Driven Life uh, by Rick Warren and I was doing the workbook and that was like such therapy for me. And we met at a theology class. Alejandro and I met at a, at a theology class. Hmm. We actually, um, I, I honestly, felt we were both writing in a diary at the same time. And I, I truly feel with everything in my heart that God delivered him to me. He delivered this man to me. And we do not have a perfect marriage by all means. I don't want people to think that. But at the end of the day, hmm. you know, he is the leader of our family. He keeps us so close to God and reminds us like daily gratitude, appreciation, like always looking to him um, mm. for all of our blessings, right? And uh, mm. I, I just have utmost respect for him, even with his projects that he's doing. Mm. Like you mentioned, he has a new one that's coming out. We're actually going to Rome to show it to the Pope, which I'm so excited on Sunday. Um, and just the projects he puts out in the world are so hopeful and so beautiful and just raises humanity. Um, I mean, it's an mm. honor to be married to him. And I, I take zero credit, zero, zero, zero. Honestly, I went to God in that moment, and that was part of that reshape, and that, that was the result. Mm. As I mentioned earlier, or alluded to, um, you have not been untouched by tragedy in UN Alejandro. In, in 2015, yeah. and you devote an entire chapter in the book to this, um, the reshape mm -hmm. through pain. 
you and Alejandro received a call that your father-in-law, Alejandro's dad and his brother, were kidnapped near their hometown in Mexico, and sadly, they were both killed. And you write in the book, the grief and the pain felt like we were carrying a building on our shoulders. It was the greatest weight I ever experienced, pulling me down all the time. Losing them changed everything. I was not the same person. In tragedy, faith is truly put to the test. Honestly, that was the most difficult thing in all of this for me. Suffering had sent me to my knees in prayer so many times, and now it was hard to pray. I initially felt betrayed by God. I tried and tried, but I could not understand. Uh, and you go on to, to mention how Jesus said from the cross, why have you forsaken me? Um, how, how did you and Alejandro deal with this horrible tragedy? And, and talk to me you a know, little bit about how fa your faith was challenged and how you overcame that. You know, during that time, it's so hard, like, to, you know, you're in that space, and I'm hearing it again, and during that time, like, to lose one person in that way is inconceivable. Mm -hmm. But to lose two, you have no idea how to even mourn. Like, it, it, you're, as a human being, to process that is really, really difficult, mm -hmm. and we were really struggling. And my father-in-law was such a devout man. It's so beautiful. Honestly, when they took him, I thought they would fall in love with him and they were going they would return him. Like I, I didn't think it was going to end the way it did. So when we lost him, um, we were confused. We were angry with God because he took a good one. And um, we, we, we met with many priests, many spiritual advisors. I mean, we did so much work on ourselves just try to understand. And it's so funny. I was hosting a Catholic conference and Alejandro wasn't even open to even sit in the audience. He stayed up in the room. He was with me. And Father Michael Gately mm. got up, and he was talking about his book, 33 Days to Morning Glory, and he was talking about Mary and the Son and bringing us back to Jesus and union. And I don't know what happened in that moment. Again, I have chills. I knew that I needed Alejandro to talk to her talk to Father Michael Gately, and I was thinking, Mary is the way. I've never had a devotion to Mary. Like, I really didn't. I would just go straight to the big man. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I brought them together. He shared with us the book. We started doing the book, 33 Days to Morning Glory, and honestly, Mary felt like a safe choice for us because we it was too sensitive what we were feeling to go directly to God. Like, we just couldn't. So Mary, mm. through that devotion, gently guided us back into union with her son. And that's when the healing began. And that's when the healing began after that, after doing that devotion. And now I feel like because of that tragedy, we really have changed the way we walk through this, this world. I mean, I, I, we definitely make different choices. We really try to be super present and in the moment, knowing that life is so short and could be taken away in an instant. Um, mm. we really try daily to surrender, uh, our lives into God's will, you know, being in this entertainment business, it seems all, it seems very glamorous, but there's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to finances and jobs. And sometimes jobs in, uh, are few and far between. And, you know, you're always sort of, it's all, it's always that balance. Right. So, um, really putting our faith in God and he's always delivered. He really has. It's, it's, it's amazing. Mm.
No, it's a great part of the book and, and you know, worth reading. I think the, the, the journey is worth it for that chapter, though there are other commendable chapters, too. But uh, at the beginning of the first chapter, you use one of my favorite quotes from St. Catherine of Siena. Be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. What do you want yeah. readers to take, Ali, from um, Reshape Your Life? And what's the message that you want them to hold dearest as they as they go through this? I mean, when you say that quote, I love it so much because often I feel like as we get older, we lose that fire, right? Those things that bring us ultimate joy because we get older and life starts to happen and we focus on the bills and the jobs and the kids and everything. But we have mm -hmm. to remember those things that set our souls on fire, right? In my husband's movie, um, there's a quote there that says, you can either serve your passion or you can serve your weakness, not both. So I truly believe in serving the passion, right? And and really that is, that pretty much describes everything that the book is about. Like really, you know, not settling for a half life. Like we have one life, one life. And I just want us all to really try our best to make it a masterpiece. I love it. Ali Landry, thank you for being here. And by the way, your husband's movie, uh, uh, the you. Mother Cabrini film, is incredible. Which I, you know, I've seen, I've seen bits and pieces of it, not the entire film, oh but what I've gosh. seen is, is pretty stellar. Um, reshape oh, your life. Don't you. settle because you are worth it. By Ali Landry's available now at bookstores everywhere and online. Ali, hope you'll come back sometime soon and come visit us in New Orleans. I would love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. He's a two-time college football national champion. He won the Heisman Trophy in 2007 while playing for the University of Florida. He's also been a first-round NFL draft pick, ESPN contributor, a former professional baseball player. What hasn't he done? Well, five-time New York Times bestseller books. Uh, and he joins us tonight with an inspirational new book, Mission Possible, one-year devotional. Please welcome Tim Tebow, to the program. Tim, thanks for being here. In a recent Instagram post, you admit to being a people pleaser and that you had to change your mindset from pleasing people to earning their respect to grow yeah. closer to God and bring others closer to him. And you attribute this quote by Winston Churchill with helping you see the need for change. If you have enemies, good. It means you stood for something at least once in your life. How did that quote change you? and how you go about bringing others closer to God? Well, Raymond, that's a, a good question. You did some research in your homework. So um, I, I, by you nature, bet. I am such a people pleaser, man. I, I wanted to... I want to be friends. I would want people to like me. I still want people to like me. It's my nature. I, I'm just not someone that um, easily, I, I'm not bold like my dad is naturally. And so I, I just especially remember getting to college and on that kind of next level, that platform of, of scrutiny and, um, and fame somewhat, but just, you have all these people. And I just remember getting scrutinized on another level. And I just, remember going home and saying to dad, like, dad, man, if, if they, if these people would get to know me, dad, I think they would like mm. me. And, and I just remember my dad looks at me and he said, Timmy, they probably would if they really got to know you because you are likable. But unfortunately, mm. Timmy, some people, they won't even want to take the time to get to know you and they don't want to actually like you. And it was at a time when I was also mm. reading 
uh, about Winston Churchill. And that's where I, I, I saw that quote and I was impacted by it yeah. because I was thinking, how in the world, Raymond, could it be good to have enemies? Like, do, don't we want to try to be friends with everyone? And and it was kind of understanding the difference between being friends, being friendly, being liked versus being mm-hmm. respected. And what I would come to kind of understand about Winston Churchill is because he stood for something, a lot of people didn't like him because they couldn't see what he saw. They didn't believe what he believed. And even the Allies thought he was going to lose the war for the Allies. And if you're on the other side, you hated him because he was your enemy. But right. but they didn't understand it. But one day they came to respect him for it. And now we we talk about Winston Churchill and, and most people are like, wow, you know, it's incredible what he's done, what he stood for, all of his writings, all his beliefs. And, and it was because he was willing to stand for something when a lot of other people um, weren't willing to. I was also, um, you know, in that time studying the scriptures and reading John 16, 33, which is one of my favorite verses. And it's Jesus talking to his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. And he looks at them, and he says, for in me, you have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome mm. the world. And, and it was something that was really impactful to me at that same time of saying, oh my gosh, like really what I was looking for was peace in relationships because I'm a people pleaser when I need to be looking for peace in my relationship with Christ and that I will have trial and tribulations. And that doesn't mean we're not trying to be friends or friendly and and love everyone. It just means that's not where we find our peace. We find it in him. And, um, and, and that was a big transition for me of, of still trying to love people, but more so instead of trying to earn likes, it was earn respect. Tim, you were born in the Philippines to missionary parents. How did they inspire you to want to share your faith? Because they're my biggest role models. Um, my mom being someone who is very rarely ever growing up that I hear her say a bad word about anyone. And she would always tell us um, what is desirable in a man is his kindness, um, going back to scripture. Mm-hmm. And then and uh, she would sing to us and sing verses to us. And that just made a massive impact. And my dad probably being my greatest hero because not what he he said to us, but what he showed us in his life of giving the majority of his adult life to helping people that could never help him and and never do anything for him. And then his courage and his conviction and his urgency to do it, to get to as many hurting people, to help as many people as possible, to take the hard steps, to to be able to go places very few would go, to um, you know, be able to um, you know, it's how we, it's how I got involved also in the, the fight against human trafficking is to be able to, you know, my, my dad in an underground pastor's conference in remote country bought four girls that were being auctioned off to be able to, to buy them, to set them free, right? Like that's the, mm. the hero that my dad has been to me. And to be able to see that, that love isn't just a feeling and it's not just, a, um, uh, it's not just, you know, these butterflies we get, but the greatest form of love is a choice to choose the best interest of another person and act on their behalf. It's what Jesus did for us. It's what I've seen my dad do for so many people. It's what too many times I've failed at, but I want to get better, that I want to choose people's best interests and act on their behalf. And that's why he's my hero. Tim, you attribute your life's purpose to when you were a 15-year-old boy in the jungle of the Philippines. And tell me what happened, who you met there that changed your life. I met a young boy named Sherwin who was born with his feet on backwards. And because he was born that way, his village viewed him as cursed. 
as less than, as insignificant, mm. and he was treated as a throwaway. Um, but I fell in love with that boy, and I knew um, that he wasn't a throwaway to God. And I so felt on my heart that God was pricking my heart to say, he better not be a throwaway to you, Timmy, because he's not a throwaway to me. And I knew that day that I love sports. I love competing. I love trying to be the best I could be. But it's not what I was supposed to do with my life. What I was supposed to do with my life was to fight for boys and girls around the world mm. like him that are being viewed as less than because they're not to God. And I know that they better not be to me. And there are so many people mm. around the world that still to this day, as we are having this conversation, still viewed as less than, as insignificant. And there are throwaways. And we have to do a better job of getting to every single one of them because they have great worth. They have great value to God and they better have it to us. Tim, in 2010, you created the Tim Tebow Foundation, which uh, focuses on really several ministries, people with special needs, orphan care, uh, children with profound medical needs, human trafficking victims, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, you're about to build a camp for children in the Poconos, 3,000 acres of land. What inspired you to start the foundation, and, and where is it now? Where do you see it going? Well, the, the foundation was really inspired by that boy in the Philippines. And when I graduated from Florida, mm -hmm. it's one of the first things we did. Um, and I wrote the mission statement to bring faith, hope, and love to those needing a brighter day in their darkest hour of need. And I wrote that literally just thinking about Sherwin, where he was in his life and what he needed is he was in the darkest hour of need and he needed people to love him enough to bring faith, hope, and love to him, to his situation. And that is our heart. That is our heart's cry to get to as many places mm -hmm. as we can around the world. World. We're so grateful that God has opened doors for us to now be in over 70 countries around the world. Um, but we have to get farther into all those countries, into more countries to get to every single hurting person. And, and what you're referring to with, with Rising Light Ridge is the, the camp in the Poconos that we have um, already serving kids, but we're still, we broke ground and we're building the camp out. But while we're building it, we're still serving in the meantime. And, and really that camp is called Rising Light Ridge. And it is a place where we want everybody to find belonging. We want everybody to be loved, to be served, to be cared for, to know their worth and their value. That's why we call it a place of belongings, because everybody belongs in the family of God. And we want to be able to share that. And we want people to know that. And, mm. and we want to be able to serve people with special needs. We want to be able to serve people who haven't had the chances before. We want to be able to serve people um, who, who come from um, from harder areas, from don't have as many opportunities. We want to be able to serve people who have been in one of the greatest evils in the world and, and, um, and, and trapped in that the terrible place of human trafficking. We want to be able to serve all these people. So um, that is our heart. Uh, the, the land was was given to us, and now it is it, it is our heart to be able to give it to those that, that are hurting so that they can find joy, they can find hope, they can mm. find peace, and they can find restoration. Tim, before we run out of time, I have to get to your new book, uh, Mission Possible, one-year devotional. Uh, in a recent video you posted on social media, you asked people if they're committed to reading the Bible as they are to drinking a cup of coffee each morning. And you point out that it takes just that time, the time it takes to brew a coffee, you could read several reflections in your book. What do you find are the biggest obstacles keeping people from making that commitment each day? 
resources. I think it's our mindset. I think it's the consistency. I think it's all the things that are thrown at us every day. I mean, Raymond, let's just be honest. How many Mondays have I woke up in my life and I've got caught up in all the different things that have been thrown at me, the busyness of life, the um, the clutter of life, the things I feel like I got to get to. And um, even though I'm someone that... I, I've I've been taught the truth and I know it. I still let things get in the way. And so it's encouraging people. Mm. Let's not let things get in the way. Let's start with the, a mission mindset. Let's get into God's word. And that's why every day we start with, um, with portions of scripture and then we try to make it practical. And then we try to encourage them a- along the way. Um, but, but just for two to five minutes, if we could just start our day, you know, in God's word, and then also with encouraging stories, well, we can frame our mindset to be prepared for that day, because in that day, we can get caught up in so many distractions, and that's been true in my life. So many days, I've just been caught up with all the things I have to do rather than starting it with the right framework, with the right mindset in God's Word, with the right encouragement, and the right challenges as well. Is that something we also want to challenge people, you know, to to get uncomfortable, to give a little little bit more, to care a little bit more, to pray a little bit more, to serve a little bit more. And then we also really, really, really want to encourage people because Raymond, we all know this life can be hard. It can have disappointments. It can have pain. It can have frustrations. And so we want to be able to encourage people. You know what encouragement means? It means to give support, confidence, or hope to. And when people pick this up, Mm. I, I hope and I pray that they, they feel supported in God's word and God's promises and God's love. For them, I I hope that they have hope, and, and, and I hope that they have confidence mm. in 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 who they were created to be, and how much God loves them, and how He has a special special plan and purpose mm. for their life. And Tim, we should tell people uh, th- there's usually a Bible quote, uh, a reflection, and of course, then it's some of your insights. Sometimes using sports analogies or things that happened in your life, and then usually a series of questions to kind of jumpstart the day. Why did you decide? To, to use that form to create this well, devotional? Because I think it's a lot of different ways that we can learn from and be impacted. I think sometimes um, when we give people thoughts on reflections, um, first of all, it's always important to start with Scripture because that's God's Word. It's His promises. It's His love letter to us. Mm-hmm. And it's always the right place to start. And then, you know, coming up with some different thought-provoking questions. And and I even, um, in 31 of these devotionals, um, they're, they're written by other people that are heroes of mine, that some of them are parents who have lost their children to to diseases. Some of them are kids with life-threatening illnesses. One of them is a survivor of human trafficking. And I wanted the world to be able to hear some of their story because I also think that, that they're just inspirations to me. And I think they will be inspirations to so many people. But it's also how in those tough situations, how God has used their pain um, to turn it into purpose and how God has used their pain because they've given it to him to, to use it for good and how all of us have gone through hard times. But, but our God is a big God that is also sovereign that can use all of those things um, together um, for good to those that love him. Okay, Tim, I've saved the most difficult question for last. You titled this devotional after your book, Mission Possible, which was about creating a life that counts. Um, Tell us, before we run out of time, how do you discern what God is calling you and what your mission in life is? How does one figure that out? 
That's really good. Well, first, I think it starts by knowing that you have one, knowing that you were created on purpose for a purpose. It's understanding that God is universe really does have a purpose for all of us. What does even purpose mean? The reason we were created, the reason we exist. You could also say mission, a task or a job someone has been given to do. That's why we titled it Mission Possible. What is possible means? It means to be able. And I believe every single one of us has a purpose and a mission, and we are able to accomplish it. How do we know that? What? How, how do we know what it is? Well, I think in the macro, we all have the same. And it's to love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But in the micro, I think we all have different ones. How do we live that out? Well, that's really hard. You're going to see a lot of different people talk about it to try to figure out, try to understand it. But I want to encourage people to look at it this way. What have your eyes been open to and what has your heart been pricked for? And in and, and those moments in your life, we talked about when I had the chance to meet Sherwin, right? That day, my eyes were open to something I hadn't seen and my heart was pricked to do something about it. When we have those moments, when we have those chances, let's step into it. Even if we get uncomfortable, even if we're not sure, even if we don't have the, all the answers, that's okay. Let's dive into it because even whether that is your, your, your in purpose or not, I also believe that it can help lead you to wherever we're supposed to go next. But I would also encourage people, you know, God can do anything that he wants. But I don't usually see a lot of people that their life's getting impacted just by watching, you know, two, three, four seasons of the latest Netflix shows or just scrolling. (laughs) And so why God can use that to impact people, I don't see it a lot. But I do see when people are willing to step outside of their comfort zone a little bit, and to, to care, to serve, to help in places, how he can use that so much in our life to, to grow us, to let us see the next thing we're supposed to do. And he can use Netflix, but man, I don't know that I, I see him doing that with a lot of people. And, you know, maybe if we just put that down a little bit and, and, and I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's fun for me and my wife to watch our favorite show, but every now and then we just, we just need to put it down and see, okay, hey, maybe what's the next greatest way we can go serve? Well, I I love that you're encouraging people to be spiritually watchful. You know, I I just wrote a book on the wise men, and they were watching. They were looking beyond their earthly experience to something else and then to act on that. And that's really what this devotional is about. Mission Possible one-year devotional, 365 days of inspiration for pursuing your God-given purpose by Tim Tebow is available at bookstores everywhere and online. Tim, thank you so much for being here. We'll do this in person sometime soon. I love it. Raymond, thanks for all the the research and the questions. Man, you did your homework. I love it. That was fun, man. Well, thank my producer, too. We We try to respect our guests enough to raise the bar. So thank you, Tim. I love it. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. And earlier in the show, we talked about her, but on April 20th, Uh, we will mark the centenary of dear Reverend Mother Angelica. If you only knew Mother from her live show, you barely know her story. To celebrate Mother's 100th anniversary, Random House Image is releasing a new edition of my biography, Mother Angelica, The Remarkable Story of a Nun, Her Nerve, and a Network of Miracles. It includes a new foreword by yours truly, and for the first time in years, the entire complete audiobook with new material is available from Audible. And Random House, of course, is is the new producer of that. The new edition of Mother Angelica's biography is available now at the EWTN catalog, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. It's also a great time 
to dive into not only the biography, but the three spiritual books I edited for Mother, and the sequel to the biography, Her Grand Silence, The Last Years and Living Legacy of Mother Angelica. Details are at RaymondArroyo.com, and I think it's an important way and a good way to remember her. That is all the time we have now. Be sure to catch us next week. Come see me on book tour. Until then, we'll be scouting the world over for all that is seen and unseen. On behalf of the staff and crew of EWTN News, thank you for watching. I'm Raymond Arroyo. Bye now.